morning, church. That sounded better than the first time. It is great to see you guys this morning, and if you're visiting with us today, uh, we are thrilled that you're here. Wanted to make mention of an opportunity coming up for baptism on November the 20th, and we, uh, I know I have a couple for sure that uh, want to be baptized, and so uh, any of you who are seeking uh, believer's baptism, if you would um, contact the church office and set up a time to, to come and meet with me, that'd be great. And, uh, you know, baptism is a, a testimony of a change that's taken place in your life as a person when you came to faith in Christ. And it's very important, uh, not only the obedience factor, because the Lord uh, wants us to obey and, and, and be baptized, but um, it's also a witness. It's a witness to anyone who would be here, uh, anyone who's watching uh, on the video uh, about your faith in Christ. And so I remember years ago, uh, we had a lady in our church. She's with the Lord now, Amy Lofton. You remember Amy? And Amy was baptized at a very late stage in life. And um, I remember meeting with her in my office and she said, you know, Pastor that I, I, I feel like I'm too old. I said, no, never too old. I said, it's a great witness to all those who may have passed it up for whatever reason over the years. So if you have not been baptized and you would like to do so, please contact the church office and I'll be thrilled to meet with you and to sit down and talk about that uh, with you. This morning, we want to uh, have a welcome time. We have not done that in a few uh, years, it seems like, literally, and um, I know typically when, when our house is full, so to speak, uh, it's hard to get from one place to the other. We have a couple of people in our church that are really good, uh, like Buddy Seal. He'll, he'll go all over the place, and I've even had to tell him, hey, buddy, the countdown, we're down to five seconds. It's time to start, and that does not even phase him. Because he wants to go around and meet people. And, um, you know, the Lord was in the people business, and so are we. And so we want to um, make ourselves a welcome to others who may be visiting with us. Or just, you know, I've actually had conversations in this church with people who've been attending for a good period of time. And they'll say to me, and have said to me, Hey, Thad, I don't know that family that sits all the way over here. And you know the configuration of this. I mean, you can be in and out in no time and uh, not get an opportunity to meet these fine folks over here or these fine folks over here. Everybody knows the people in the middle, right? But um, you make sure that uh, after I pray, I would like for you to stand up and uh, go around and just welcome one another. Find someone you do not know, all right? And uh, introduce yourself uh, to them. Let's... Uh, Stand and let's have a word of prayer, and then you can go around and welcome one another this morning. So, Father, it's wonderful to be able to assemble today with the freedom that we have. Um, we don't know how much more freedom we will have in the future, we don't know that, only you know. And so, we just want to say thank you for today, thank you for the privilege of being able to gather today. And I want to thank you for every person that has um, made the effort to be here this morning. And as we worship in song and as we look at your word, I pray that you would help us 
uh, by your spirit to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth and that the Lord Jesus Christ would get all the honor and all the glory. And as we go around and welcome one another this morning, I pray for us it will just be a picture in our minds of, of the fellowship that's going to happen in heaven. Um, just, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, but at the center of the fellowship will be the Lord Jesus. And so we're thankful for that mental picture that we have, and as we have opportunities to um, just greet one another uh, this morning, I pray that we would be an encouragement. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Go around and welcome one another. Alright guys, having too much fun out there. Y'all make your way back to your seats. Great to be in the house of the Lord, baby. Y'all sing with me. I spin in vanity and pride 
Hang on just a minute. Hang on. <laughs> it's in the wrong key. <laughs> All right, let's start over. All right. It's already mass chaos, so that shouldn't affect anything. Y'all make your way back to your seats, guys. We're going to worship the Lord together this morning. Y'all sing with me, okay? Is a spinning vanity Caring not my Lord was crucified Knowing not it was for me he died Calvary By God's word at last my sin I learned And I trembled at the law I'd spurned my guilty soul and pouring turned to Calvary. There your mercy and your grace was free. Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty. Calvary. down to man, oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Oh, 
every human being gets to experience the common grace of God, right? Uh, it's what makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust, what keeps the sun coming up in the morning, his hand is on all of creation, we all get to experience that. But as believers, if you're here this morning, you know Jesus, you get to experience God's amazing grace, his grace that saves, his grace that uh, pulls you from the miry pit, 
put you on a solid rock. So let's sing about that grace this morning. Oh, me. Yeah. 
all the young people who are involved up here uh, with us and all those who are more mature, we appreciate them as well. When I was in high school, I was a part of the cross-country team and I was a part of the track team and we had a coach named Coach Youngblood. That sounds like a coach's name, doesn't it? Coach Youngblood. He coached us, I guess, all four years I was there in high school. And um, Coach Youngblood was an unusual coach in this way, that he was a tremendous encourager. It didn't matter where you finished in a meet. It didn't matter where you finished, what place you were in in the cross country. He was always there to greet you at the end of the race. And he would look at the individual and say, nice job, Thibodeau. Nice job, Boudreaux. I I lived in southwest Louisiana. Um, Nice job, Swallow. Nice job, Blunt. People were like, where is he from? Nice job, Blunt. He was always an encourager. And part of the reason I stuck with track and cross country for the four years I did was because of Coach Youngblood. You know, people like that that have come alongside of you in your life and encouraged you to the point of where you've even gone beyond what you thought you were capable of. He was like that. He always knew when you needed a word of encouragement, and he was there to give it. Well, these believers that John is writing to in the letter of 1 John needed some encouragement in the midst of some some difficult circumstances because as we saw from chapter 2 in verse 26, so we're in 1 John, so you can take your Bible that you have and open it up to 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John 2 verse 26, he tells them part of the reason that he's written to them. He says, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So there were believers and there were deceivers. And the deceivers were trying to deceive the believers. Just as there are deceivers in our world today trying to deceive even believers. And as we learned from the context of the passage, John tells us that these deceivers were in their midst. And whether he was writing about the apostles themselves or these believers, the truth is deceivers do exist even in the midst of believers. Now what you have to be convinced of is that you need to listen to this message. Because you might be sitting there going, well, hey, that if there's deceivers among us, you'll handle that. Or the elders will handle that. Here's the problem. Deceivers don't just exist in this building potentially Deceivers do exist where you work. And I do not go to work with you, nor do I plan on going to work with you. I don't go to school with you, but in the midst of your schooling, there are those who are deceivers. We know that, and there are false messages. So 
if you want to be encouraged in the midst of being around those who would deceive, then you need to listen very carefully to what John says to these believers about these antichrists who were among them, who were a part of an assembly, but were not a part of the body of Christ. And you say, hey, Thad, let's fast forward the pages to the 21st century. Is it possible that within an assembly like this, you would have one or two that were deceivers? That would even be labeled by the Lord as Antichrist. Well, we saw from the passage already together that the Antichrist singular is coming. He's coming on the scene. We talked about that together from verse 18. And then we saw that there were Antichrist. And John says they are among us. They even come out from us. And now we've come to the third point. And his third point we spent some time on last week. I felt like I was really going pretty rapidly last week. The front part of our service was a little longer. And I was like, man, I don't know. I felt like Speed Racer, right, going through the text. And I'm like, there is so much to consider. But I want to make sure that we understand what John is doing here. And I believe the Apostle John is encouraging these children as he calls them. And remember, in the context of 1 John, the term children occurs a pretty good bit. Part of the time, John refers to them as born ones. And then part of the time, he refers to them as learners. Guess what we all are? We are learners. Okay, so we have something in common with these folks. And so he needs to encourage them. And so he does so, right? By saying, even in the midst of this deception that's going on, you have help. You have help. You know, one of the doctrines that's not spoken of much in the church today is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is critical for your life and for my life. Did you know at salvation the Spirit of God indwells you? He lives in you, and he continues to live in you, and he will not depart from you. He is there to stay. Isn't that great? Well, John refers to the help as an anointing, or the anointing, or his anointing. He says you have an anointing, verse 20 and 21. Then you go to verse 27, and he says, you have the anointing which you receive from him, and he abides in you. And then he says, his anointing teaches you all things. So your conclusion is, this anointing is a person. This anointing is a person. We saw that together last time. I have a different quote for you this week than I did last week. This quote is by J. Dwight Pentecost. And he writes about this help because this help in the context refers to the third person of the Trinity. And this is what J. Dwight Pentecost says about the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is the helper. It's very important to to say it like that. He's not just a helper. He's the helper. Okay? There's a difference between a helper and 
the helper because the helper resides in you. He says in John's Gospels, John's Gospel, excuse me, the disciples were promised another comforter. The word comforter literally refers to the one summoned giving help to another. It's a picture of someone coming alongside of you uh, to help you, to assist you. You know, you hear language like this in the Christian life sometimes. I hope I can do it. I hope I can get through this. Would it be okay if we began to think about that language? And maybe say something like this. I have one in me who helps. I have one in me who's going to help me in this circumstance. This arduous moment that has come into my life. The one who is labeled the comforter lives in me and he's going to help me. And I think that's the idea here that these people, these believers, have such a great advantage over these deceivers. And the advantage is they have the spirit of the living God in them. And then we saw last time together that this anointing is not exclusive. It's not like one or two of them had it, but the rest of them as believers didn't have it. It's not like when you come to Christ that only a few of you have the anointing. The anointing resides in you. The spirit of God lives in you. We're not looking for a special anointing if we're Christians We have the special anointing. My goodness, we have the Spirit of God in us. And he lives in us. And I can't imagine what that must have been like in real time for the disciples when Jesus promised the the Holy Spirit would come and indwell them. What that must have been like for them and how special that must have been for them because of the fact that they spent their time with the Lord Jesus. And he said, look, I've been with you and I'm going to be in you. And that you there is plural. It referred to every single believer. And then we saw last time together that the anointing was given, and this is where we stopped, to believers by the Holy One. That's what it says in verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And so we said, who in the world is the Holy One? Why didn't John just say, you have an anointing from Jesus or anointing from the Father? Well, I have my own thought of it, and it's this, that the Holy One would describe The Father and the Son, right? And what's true of the Father is true of the Son. And the problem that these deceivers were having had to do with the Son. And so John addresses this by saying that the anointing was given to you by the Holy One. Now we come to the fourth point about this anointing. The anointing gives believers, so the Holy Spirit gives believers the ability to know And to understand the truth and to discern it from lies. Look what it says here in the context in verse 20 and 21. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. Circle that little word, know. I have not written to you because you do not know. You can circle that one too, the truth. But because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Well... What's John doing here? He's saying, listen, you understand. If you just want to say it simply, hey, you understand. And the reason you understand and have the ability to grasp spiritual truth or to grip spiritual truth is because of the anointing, the one that lives in you, 
because he teaches you. He's the one that helps you to understand. So one of the things that we have in the Holy Spirit, he helps us understand. And we know the Holy Spirit's going to do what? He's going to lead us into truth, not a lie. This culture, a lot of it, and it seems to be so much more than even when I was growing up as a kid, it's nothing to lie. People don't even, it doesn't even phase people. Do you, do you see that or is it just me? It doesn't even, they just flat out bold faced lie to you. One of the things that is such a blessing and such an advantage for us as we think about biblical truth is that the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth. And the Bible says he leads us into all the truth. You know, people sometimes struggle with, hey, what's the truth? This book's the truth. You can depend on it. Now, what's interesting about this word no is I really felt like I needed to give you a little short Greek lesson. And it's okay. I was given a lot of Greek lessons when I was in school by George Morange and others. But sometimes it's important when you're coming to a text and you see a word like no that's used over and over and over and over again, you understand what the author's doing. And here's what great advantage you have now. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. There are so many different helps out there. I mean, just look them up, okay? You have the Blue Letter Bible. You can find about every, anything and everything using the Blue Letter Bible. Bible Hub. Bible Hub is another great, great tool. So it's important to, to understand what uh, John's saying here and how he uses it. So I thought, well, this would be a, a good time to just pause for a second for a brief commercial. And that's what this is, a commercial. There are two primary words in the New Testament for the word no. One is gnosko. Say that with me, gnosko. Isn't that just the coolest? Some, some of the words are really awesome to say. Gnosko, okay? And this means to learn by experience, all right? To know by experience. Um, and the word oida means to understand something through observation. It also refers to a person who has head knowledge, of something, so there's a difference. The one that John uses here in this in these verses is the word oida. He doesn't use the word gnosko in this immediate context, although he uses it in this particular letter. I wanted to give you an example of the difference between the two. I understand. I have knowledge, head knowledge of the fact. That when I go to a dentist office, they have a tool that I call the hook. Do you maybe have a thought about what the hook could be? That's a good summary. It's torture. This last Wednesday, I was in the dentist office getting a permanent crown put on. I thought, okay, I even did a survey of people in the congregation. So what's the difference between getting the temporary and the permanent? They said, Thad, the permanent's simple. They just take out that temporary, put a, put a little stuff in there, and, and, and put that bad boy down, that permanent, and you'll never, you won't even know they've been there. That was not true. They took the temporary off, and he took the hook. 
So you have an understanding. You understand because you've seen, right? You have a head knowledge of. This is oida. But then I know it through personal experience that the hook exists. You see it? There's the hook. I'm not talking about the reflective little mirror there. I'm talking about the hook. No one ever does that when the hook is about to approach their bow. When I saw these pictures on the internet, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. I don't know anybody who's smiling when the dentist is approaching them with the hook. So I, I don't only understand, but I have personal knowledge, personal experience of the hook. And that's exactly to kind of differentiate between the terms. That's what John is saying to these guys. Hey, you understand. You understand. You have knowledge of. He uses that word oida. You have knowledge of. You understand. You have a grip on the things that are true because you are being taught by the Spirit of God. All right? Okay, so he moves then to number 5.5 about the anointing. The anointing lives in you. All right, so we've seen to this point four things about the anointing. Now we're up to our fifth one, okay? The fifth about the anointing is that the anointing lives in you. Look what it says in verse 27. As for you, these Pideon, the anointing which you received. You received the anointing when? At salvation. It says the anointing which you received from him abides in what? In you. And that word you there, remember, is plural. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God abides in you. That word abides means dwells in you. It means that he resides in you. He lives in you. Um, as I said a few minutes ago, we have a great advantage because the Spirit of God lives in us. Remember the contrast in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon believers. But in the New Testament, after the beginning of the church... The Spirit of God indwells us. There are other passages in the New Testament in where Paul refers to the Spirit of God indwelling us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11, Paul speaks of the Spirit of God indwelling the believer. Indwelling the believer. You know, we don't need to ask for help from anyone else in one sense, do we? No, we ask for help from the Spirit of God who indwells us. It's also true that John was told with the other apostles in the upper room about this indwelling. Notice what it says in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another of the same kind, is what that means, that he may be with you how long? Forever. That's pretty good. Right? I mean, how many times have you said to someone, I'll be with you forever? Right? Well, there is one that is with us as believers forever. That's the Spirit of God. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be what? Notice that will there is future tense. For the disciples, it was future tense. Can you imagine the panic? We don't have to imagine it because the Bible says in John 14, 1, that their hearts were troubled. And what does Jesus say, say to him? Hey, let your heart not be troubled. Don't let it be troubled. I've got this. 
That's what he's telling them in our language, in our vernacular. Hey, guys, I've got this. You've got the spirit that's going to indwell you. My spirit is going to indwell you, he says. So can you imagine what it was like for John to even pin these words in 1 John? When he talked about the presence of the anointing. There's two other passages that you can just write down. And they, they um, come from 1 Corinthians. Where Paul talks about the spirit of God indwelling the believer. These two, I think you need to spend some time on this afternoon after you eat your lunch, whatever that might consist of. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. After he's talked about the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man, listen to what he says. Paul writes, do you not know that you are a temple... Of God. Did you know that we're visual temples of the Lord? We represent Him. He says, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, He lives in you. No one likes to be alone. No one likes to be alone. I've been in conversations with people over the years of ministry and 32 years of people who live alone. Living alone is a difficult thing for people. You don't necessarily think about what it's like to live alone when you're a child or a teenager or even someone who's in their 20s or 30s. But when someone in your sphere of influence begins to live alone, it, whoa. What's it like for people to live alone it's very difficult I have a person that I visit on a regular basis and recently this person told me that even though I'm alone I'm never alone I'm like do that again and she did it again And she said, even though I am alone, I am never alone because the Lord is with me. So the next time you think about people who live alone, there are some who live alone, who have no one. But then there are others who live alone, who have the helper that indwells them. Paul says... The Spirit of God dwells in you. But listen to this other one. This one will get you kind of moving around a little funny, maybe in your chair. But Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, wrote this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And in the context, he's talking about how we behave, how we use our members, so to speak, our body. We need to think of it as our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And so the question becomes, who do we invite into our lives? How do we look as temples? How do we look? You ever thought about that? How do we look? 
How do we look to the unbelieving world? But then how do we look to the believing world? So another aspect of the anointing is that not only do we have the capability to know and discern and understand of truth from lies, but we have one who indwells us, and that's permanently. Then sixth, sixth, our sixth point about the anointing, he says, the anointing teaches you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. Notice what he says in verse 27. As for you, that's plural, the anointing which you, which is plural, receive from him abides in you all, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you all things, it is true, it is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. There are three things here that need to be said. Number one, when John says you have no need for anyone to teach you, what in the world is he saying? Because there are teachers. There are Bible teachers. People who teach. John taught. Paul taught. Right? They didn't have the complete revelation then, but they taught. So what in the world is John saying? You have no need for anyone to teach you. He's not saying this. He's not saying that having others teach you is a bad thing. He's just saying this. Your primary teacher is who? Holy Spirit of God. Listen to me. The primary teacher that you and I have is the Spirit of the living God. Because what do we know about the spirit of the living God? He's not capable of lying. He's not capable of misspeaking. Because the Bible says he's going to lead us into all the truth. So even the person who has the best in mind, the best teacher you've ever heard. You know what? The best teacher you've ever heard unbeknownst to them at times even, has spoken in error. Does that happen? Happens. There's only one that's perfect, and that is the Spirit of God. So what John is saying here is, hey, look, you don't have any need for man to teach you. Although man does teach you, you have the Holy Spirit of God. So that's the first thing he says. Notice here, secondly, he says, but as his anointing teaches you all things. So what's John saying? Hey, he's teaching you. That's his part of his ministry. He teaches you. Now, I think it's very important here to stop and, and ask this question for you to consider and for me to consider. How much are you allowing the Spirit of God to teach you? I don't know what, how you hear that. What kind of question is that for you? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if the Spirit resides in me, which he does, and if the Spirit leads me into all the truth, which he does, and if he's the one that teaches me and he's my primary teacher, where do I learn from? The Word of God. So then it leads to the question... For me first, and then you, how much time am I spending in the Word of God so that the Spirit of God may lead me into all the truth? I read a statistic years ago that the average pastor spends 
three hours a week in preparation for his message. Now, I don't know how you hear that. I don't know if you think, wow, that's a long time. Or if you think, wow, that's not much time at all considering what he does. I had a few people asking me this morning how I was doing, which I really appreciate. I'm always thinking. I don't know if that's a disease or not, but I am always thinking. When I leave here today at noon or around noon, usually it's a lot longer than noon, but whenever I leave here today, I'll start thinking. And I'll start thinking about the next section of 1 John. And you know when I'll stop thinking about the next section of 1 John? When I'm done with it. It's just always on my mind. I don't know how to deal with that. I think that's good. But can I be honest with you? As a human, I go, sometimes I'm just like, hey, Lord, I need 30 minutes where I'm not thinking about this. But then I'm like, no, is that really a good prayer? Not a good prayer. Not a good prayer at all. Because we need to have, right? I mean, we have verses that tell us what? To hide God's word where? In our heart that we might not what? Sin against him. So it can't be a bad thing that I'm always thinking about the word of God. So his anointing, all right, teaches you, John says, all things. And it's true and it's not a lie. And look at the third thing. And this might be small to you. But I wanted to give it to you here in the text. It says, just at, as it, the anointing, his anointing, has taught you. You know what John's saying? It's already happened in the past with you. You've already been taught by the Spirit. That's significant. All right? might not be to you. You might go, I don't know. No. What's John doing? He's reminding these believers, hey, he's been the one teaching you. And he'll continue to teach you. Um, you know what John heard when he was in the upper room? You look at that phrase. His anointing teaches you all things. Look at this phrase. In the upper room when Jesus was with his disciples, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said he will teach you all things. It seems to me John was a pretty good listener. And he believed. He believed, hey, the Spirit of God, he's going to indwell me and he's going to teach me. And he knew it by experience. And he says in John 14, Jesus says, The helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And then I call this icing on the cake. This last part. Look what John and the other apostles are told about the Spirit. He will teach you all things, similar to what John writes in 1 John. But look at this addition that Jesus says, and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That is icing on the cake. You say, Thad, where does that apply? I'll tell you where it applies. You ever been in a conversation with someone and they ask you about a passage of scripture and you're like, ooh, right? You, you get uncomfortable. You're like, you know, you start kind of shivering maybe a little bit, even though it's 105 degrees. And you're like, well, well, and the Spirit of God reminds you. He reminds you of the truth. You ever been in that situation? I've been in that situation many, many times where the Spirit of the living God has reminded me of the things 
that I have learned from the Word of God. And so the Bible says here that John was told that not only would he be taught all things, but that the Spirit of God would bring to remembrance all that was said. And then John tells these guys, hey, look, the Spirit, his anointing, he teaches you all things just as he has taught you. Okay, so all that comes under the heading. The first thing that John encourages them with is that you have help. And in the context, you have the Holy Spirit. The second thing that he encourages them with is that you can have in fellowship, or you can enjoy fellowship. Now, I put this under the label of a substantial reminder. You remember the part of the reason that this letter was written, the big reason that this letter was written, was to do with fellowship. And remember, we said that there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. I have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. At salvation, I was sealed by the Spirit. And positionally, relationally, I am the Lord's. And that does not change. But when it comes to fellowship, when it comes to walking in the light as he's in the light, hey, that's something that's an everyday issue, right? That comes in front of my face. It's the way that I live. It's the things that I say. It's the things that I do. And John writes in 1 John 1, 3, this great reminder, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also and he's talking about the Lord Jesus in the context so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ but i want you to notice that the fellowship that john speaks about that they can have is a conditional fellowship there's a condition to it right what's the condition notice what it says in verse 24 of Chapter 2, as for you, now he's encouraging his audience with this. You can have fellowship. You can have intimacy. But he says, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Well, what's important to understand there? The word abide. What in the world does that mean? It means to dwell. It means to live. It's, it's a picture of, of intimacy with the Lord. And so what's he telling them in this context? He says, hey, look, if you want to have intimacy, continued intimacy with the Lord, there's something you have to do. You have to abide in what you heard from the beginning. Well, what in the world is he talking about? What had they heard from the beginning? They had heard doctrinal truth about who? Jesus Christ. You need to abide in that truth. So when come, someone comes up to you and says, Jesus Christ is not the Messiah, you say, oh, no, he is. When someone comes up to you and says, and even in our culture today they say it, Jesus is not the Son of God, you say, oh, no, the Bible says Jesus is the Son of God. And when someone comes up to you and remember in this context and says, hey, he didn't take on flesh and dwell among men. You say, oh, no, no, no. The Bible tells us that Jesus took on flesh and he dwelt among men in the person of Jesus Christ. He did that. So that's exactly what he's saying. You have to abide in those truths. Now, for us in this culture and in our day, these may not be ones directly in our context that we're dealing with 
But I've used this example, and I, I'm, I'm going to continue to use it because it's so pertinent to your life and my life. You can depend on this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds to receive his church. You say, well, Thad, there's a lot of different viewpoints on that. Okay. There are a lot of different viewpoints on that. But I think we're going to find as we go through the first John, it's essential that when we study eschatology, we keep the judgments where they are. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Because then everything's going to be based on works and that's not going to be based on grace. And that's a problem, is it not? There must be a differentiation. And you know what's so awesome? Is the puzzle piece that we have in front of us, the scriptures, every piece fits exactly. So when someone says, hey, you know, when Jesus comes back, it's just going to be one and done. Is that what the Bible says? Some people might look up here at me right now going, does it really matter? It really matters. It matters to me for two reasons. Number one, it matters in terms of what we know based on Scripture. But can we trust the word of the Lord? Answer, yes, we can. And you have passages like John 14... And passages like 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. Those are different passages from passages that speak about the second advent of Christ. When Christ comes to rule and reign. And then if we don't get all that right, then we just kind of lump Israel and the church together. And that's a problem. Because then what we're saying is, well, let's just put an X through Israel and the promises that God made to Israel... We'll just put an X through it because it just doesn't fit our doctrine. Can we do that? Guys, we can't do that. I was sitting with George Morange one day and we were talking to an individual. And this person, we asked this person about their viewpoint on the end times. And he went to Southeastern Bible College. And he said, oh, we really didn't talk about that a whole lot. I said, hold on a second. You went, because I was trying to get him to distinguish between Israel and the church. I said, you went where? Went to Southeastern Bible College. You didn't study eschatology? Well, we really didn't look at it a whole lot. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I say all that to say this. Thank you, George. Thank you, Dr. Hugh. How many of you want to go through the tribulation period? How many of you want to be judged on your position based on works? We're all cooked if that's what we do. Hey, we sang about it today. Grace. Grace. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We don't take the scriptures and say, I need to carve them up so it fits my theology. When I was in college, there were two words that, there were many words that I was like, what in the world is this? Eisegesis. Some words are just cool. Say eisegesis. And exegesis. 
And eisegesis was reading into the text, placing in the text the things that fit my theology. Exegesis, ex means out of, it's pulling out what the scriptures say. Important? Critical. So if I pull out, then I have to do something with the scriptures that talk about the differentiation between Israel and the church, between the first coming and the second coming, and then in the chart, where is the rapture? Because those are different events. So from my viewpoint, it's the scriptures, those are paramount, but I certainly don't want to say, Lord, I can't trust your promises. What did Jesus tell his disciples in the upper room? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come receive you to myself. Well, I don't know about you, but I know they were banking on the promise of the Spirit of God entering them. And I think they're banking on the promise that the Lord's going to come for his church. And the Bible says, Paul puts it this way, the dead in Christ will rise first. Hallelujah? Yeah, you'll be saying hallelujah. Some of you might not be. You'll be going, "Uh uh-oh. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord, right, to be forever with him. Well, theology is critical. Their fellowship with the Lord was critical, and he says, hey, look, you've got to abide in sound doctrine to have that fellowship. Dr. Dave Anderson said these people came into the Christian life by believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who came to save them from their sins. You all right with that? It's good doctrine. Now, to enjoy their new life in Christ, they must abide in that very doctrine. You hear people say this, at least I have, over the years. How important really is that doctrine? It's critical. How important is the doctrine of salvation? Critical. That salvation is based, right, on grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing else. So he encourages these guys. He says, look, you can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, but you have to abide in that doctrine, that sound doctrine. And then he had told them, hey, look, you have a helper. Let me give you the last thing. He says, you have a promise. Man, this is, this is icing on the cake. I love cake. You guys love cake? Love cake. White cake, white frosting. The best. I think my wife likes that. What do you call that cake with the German chocolate cake? She likes that one. I don't like the coconut. Coconut, the texture of coconuts. Ugh. Anyway, so on Wednesdays, Do you know we have faithful laborers in the kitchen? They labor labor faithfully, and they cook for the Awana helpers, for those who come up, for their families. And one of the things that they do on Wednesdays, they're always making some kind of cake. And you know what I like to do? I like to walk in the kitchen. And when they're making up that batter... Oh, have you ever had batter? I mean, you just want to take that stuff and lick it. And listen, Tommy Johnson two weeks ago made a batter that you can just drink. You just drink it. 
And, of course, the ladies have always said to me, that, how good is that for you? I say, great, it's great for me because it's just clearing out my arteries. It's liquid. It's going right through. Hey, listen. The icing on the cake in this context is what John tells these believers. Hey, look, let me encourage you with the greatest thing. You have eternal life. <laughs> you have eternal life. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? <laughs> I love eternal life. Right? And eternal life for the believer begins at salvation. That's what we call it, the abundant life. We don't have a life like the pagans have. We have purpose and meaning. We have all those things. Right? Things, things that, that, that's hard to even describe. We have those blessings. And so all of these things that we have with eternal life, they begin at the point of salvation. Ephesians 1 tells us all the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the pagan doesn't understand? They have eternal life too. Their eternal life, however, is going to be spent away from the presence of the... Listen to this. From the presence of the one who made them. I was talking to someone recently... How hard is it for a mother to be separated from their child? Very difficult. The one that made them, they'll be separated from. And you say, oh, Thab, they're not going to know him. Oh, yes, they are. You know what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Every eye, every eye, okay, every eye, will see him, even those who, what, pierced him. Scripture tells us that hell will be a place of torment. My own personal belief, and I think Thessalonians backs this up, the personal hell people will experience will not only be the torment forever and ever and ever that will never stop, but it will be that they're away from the one that made them, the one that loved them so much. That he went to the cross and he died for him. Well, I'm going to run through something quickly and then you guys can go eat some batter and cake and all that kind of stuff. I want to show you from the Gospel of John just quickly. If you, if you look at 1 John and the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is about salvation. The, 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 um, primarily, the, gospel, the uh, book of 1 John is about um, sanctification, our walk with the Lord. There are points and times, as we've seen, where John focuses on salvation. This is one of those. But I want you to notice, read in context, John chapter 3 is about who? You know, you remember Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus have this conversation? And everybody knows John 3.16, but in the context, look what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. If you put these in context, man, it's just, mm, makes you want to eat more icing. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, excuse me, that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to what? 
eternal life. John chapter 5. Whoa. John chapter 5, the context. You remember the healing at Bethsaida. And the Lord heals this man. You remember the man? The one where he told him, pick up your pallet and walk. And then you have this discourse. Right? And the Pharisees were a little bit upset because he had healed on the Sabbath. Jesus says in this discourse, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. John chapter 6. You know the context of John 6? The feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. So 25,000, 20,000 theologians, you know, discuss that type of thing. So 20,000 people, we'll just say. The discourse on the bread of life, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have what? Eternal life. What do you do with that? You got to grip onto it. That's the truth. If you believe in the Lord Jesus and what he did for you, on the cross and paying for your sins, you will have eternal life. Then in John chapter 10, context, the parable of the good shepherd. What does it say? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give what? I give eternal life to them. Okay, now I want you to follow this. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Believe that? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Woo, man, that's right. Speak it. Hey, no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's not one person that belongs to the Lord that he will lose. Not one. So here's the great part. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus today, he's got you. And the Spirit of God has sealed you as it says in Ephesians, until the day of redemption. I like this eternal life stuff. If I'm going through John's gospel, I'm like, hey, the eternal life, that's a good thing. Chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 11. Right, the raising of Lazarus. You remember in the context, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. What? Yeah. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never now, do you know that the millisecond you close your eyes here, you're in the presence of the Lord? It reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthians. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? <laughs> Lord, Lord overcame all that, and he did it for you and for me. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so I would ask you, do you believe this? And then chapter 12, the context, the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus. I have come as light into the world. Now he says it a little different. So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in where? In darkness. The unbeliever is in darkness today. And unless they come to faith in Christ, they will remain in darkness. Aren't you glad you're not in darkness? I like what David Jeremiah says. 
Now, if he got to say this to these believers that John wrote to, man, wow. Don't let obstacles, whether it's false messages from false teachers, false messages from the world, whatever those obstacles, don't let obstacles along the road to eternity shake your confidence in God's promise. The Holy Spirit is God's seal that you will arrive. Woo! Right? As I was studying and just thinking about this issue of eternal life, I ran across this story about Eliza Hewitt. Any of you know who Eliza Hewitt was? Anybody? Okay, nobody. Eliza Hewitt was a school teacher in Philadelphia in the late 1890s. And one day, while overseeing her students on the playground, she suffered a severe back injury and was forced to bed for months and dealt with the pain for the rest of her life, literally. Although she could have had a bitter attitude about her condition, she testified of the presence of the Lord and his comfort and his peace. While being confined to the bed, she moped. Not really. Some people would. While being confined to the bed, she began studying literature and English. Who does that? She did not know it, but her confinement would lead her to writing poetry and hymns. She was being prepared by the Lord. As she began to recover, she had the opportunity to attend this summer camp. And she met a lady named Emily Wilson. They formed this great friendship. They would study the word together. They would worship together. And you know what they also did together? Created hymns. They created the hymn together when we all get to heaven. Woo! How many of you know that one? When we all get to heaven, what a day of what rejoicing that'll be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and we'll shout what? The victory. You know what, guys? Even in the midst of hard stuff, we can rejoice. We can rejoice because we have help. We can rejoice because our relationship, it's, it, it's there. But our fellowship that the Lord wants with us, it's available if we abide in the truth. And then thirdly, you know what? We can be encouraged because you and I that are in Christ have eternal life. And you know who says so? God says so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to, to open it with freedom, to read it with freedom, to study it with freedom. My prayer, Father, is that we might come to better understand that for your children, that would be all of us who are in Christ. For your children, you have great, great encouragement. And I pray that even in this times of our greatest discouragements, 
we can think on these wonderful truths that John shared with his readers. As we have opportunity, Father, this week, help us to represent the Lord Jesus well. And it's in his name we pray all of this. Amen. Sometimes John refers to us as um, children of God often in that book, and that's what we are, and that's what this song declares. So let's all stand as we close out our service. Unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave. child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. been born again to your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. A child of God. Thank you guys. I hope you're able to say today, 
that you're a child of God. You remember how we started the service this morning by going around and greeting one another. You know what? As you leave, I want to encourage you to speak to those around you. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope that uh, the Lord will give you opportunities to speak uh, for him this week. And if there's anyone in here who does not know that they're a child of God, I'd love to have an opportunity to sit down with you and talk with you. Because heaven is real and hell is real. And everyone I know and love, I want them to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus and with all of us who know him. So it's great to see you today. You encourage somebody as you go. You are dismissed.